All right, so I've missed a bunch of days on RPG A Day 2020, but I would like to do something for the, the podcast about RPG A Day 2020. So what I'm going to do is do day six through the present day 18 today in one burst of recording, and that'll be just kind of quick stuff. I'm going to try to keep each response real short, each thing really um, quick and light and fast, and just say, like, here's what this makes me think of, and here's a little bit about that, instead of kind of getting into the weeds and having a, a really long discussion of any individual one thing. So we're going to start with forest. Um, forest, what I, what I posted on the discord was about forest and missing the forest for the trees and specifically the idea that I think our games can be improved by, um, making specific kind of goals. Yeah. Specific goals in mind for the game and that specifically we need to keep in mind the big goals with regard to that right it's not about like does this one encounter go off right it's about kind of does the whole game is everybody right it's the whole is everybody having fun thing and that's generally accepted as basically the goal of um running games is that you want everybody to be having fun or at least as uh, it is put in Arbiter of Worlds, you want to provide the opportunity for everyone to have fun, which is a little bit different, but it, it's a similar concept. So missing the forest for the trees, I think, often happens when GMs get really attached to a sort of smaller part of the whole, and especially when GM and player expectations are not aligned and that they can shift over time and that can lead to um the whole missing the forest for the trees where it seems like most of the things right the gm has planned good stuff and it mostly goes off right but nobody's having quite as much fun or nobody is having fun in the way that you would hope for a, a really good game and so that, that also ties into the importance of session zero for setting expectations. All right, couple is the next word. That's day seven. Um, makes me think of one-on-one -on -one play, basically. Um, I have only done one-on-one -on -one play. I haven't done it that much. Um, I actually played with my, my now ex-girlfriend for a while, we did kind of one-on-one -on -one play with RPGs, um, and that was pretty fun. She um, had some kind of personality, or has some, because she still has those personality quirks that um, lent themselves to a bit of a kind of unusual game, shall we say. Um, she, in particular very conflict averse um and that um is kind of difficult for for running a game um other times i've run one-on-one -on -one games most common it has been trying to teach a new player a, a fairly complicated game and wanting to mess around with it and that's happened a couple of times 
with these um, Riddle of Steel-like games that I have said, hey, let's let's get on and we'll sort of go through character creation and I'll explain what all of these numbers mean. And then we'll do, you know, like a test bout or a couple of test bouts of fighting and um, get you an idea of how this system works enough to hopefully excite somebody for playing longer term. And I've done that a couple of times. Um, and most recently that has turned into the kind of actual campaign that I'm playing alternate Saturdays on with sword and scoundrel. So that's really fun. Um, so definitely there's, I think there's a really good place for one-on-one -on -one play. Um, it, uh, requires a little bit of different things from the different um, people, right? It, you have to think about things a little bit differently um, in one-on-one -on -one play, and you don't get any breaks. Um, that's, I think, the big thing is you can't you can't kind of step back out of the spotlight and say, I need a, a chance to think about things. You're kind of always on, and I think that can be hard for players and the GM because the the players aren't going to like sit and discuss things and give the GM a chance to um, plan out what's going to happen while they're sitting and discussing or things like that. So, um, but definitely something pretty cool. So pause in the recording, going to come back and do days eight and nine. All right, days eight and nine for RPG a day, 2020. Day eight is shade, and that makes me think of the concept of kind of um, shades of gray in RPGs, which is uh, an interesting kind of discussion about what I think this ties into in my mind the idea of what sort of game do you want to play, um, and this is a sort of extension beyond just what do you want to happen mechanically in the game but what do you want it to be like right like like you can do a dungeon crawl and have it be no shades of gray at all it's just black and white they're monsters and we're killing them and taking their treasure because they're monsters and therefore we're just gonna you know do that and that's fine but you can also run a dungeon crawl where it's like ooh we're kind of like you know the invaders coming in and taking their we're killing them and taking their stuff and that's kind of bad and that's a an interesting development on the concept and i think that gets to gets back to this question of expectation for the game what what does everybody want from and what is everybody expecting from the game that you're playing because obviously if you have one set of people in a game who think that you're playing a shades of gray game and one set of people in the game who think you're playing a game where that doesn't matter that's going to be a um, an imbalance that's going to cause friction um so yeah shades of gray with regard to games, I think a lot of it comes down to expectations. Light. Um, light here is L-I-G-H-T, but I'm going to talk about rules light as often spelled L-I-T-E. Um, I think what I have found for my gaming in particular is that my kind of preferred go-to... Um, 
is not necessarily rules light. It's what I call a um, uh, I call it the happy rules medium often um, to refer to the idea that it's not not super super light and not super super heavy, but it's somewhere in the range in between, and that in particular even more than the rules being light or heavy, that um, everyone's expectation about the rules is on the same page. That, For example, um, there's a superhero game that I really love called Icons. Icons is a really great game. Icons is pretty light. Icons will, I mean, like most light games, it basically can be broken right most light games are within that category that they're they're breakable if you um abuse it and so what i really like is not necessarily just playing icons but playing icons with players who have embraced the kind of um the way that this game works and is expected to work and the way that the narratives in this game and the the world in this game are working are expected to work and that therefore they're um playing along with the system rather than trying to abuse it and i think that's really important for a lot of rules light games that um you're everybody is playing along with the system rather than trying to um break the system because i think for instance um obviously pathfinder is a an example of a game that there are people who are really into it and it, it'll break down too um with people who make you know broken characters that can you know one shot dragons and stuff like that i don't know all of the different things that pathfinder players get up to um but I think most games really benefit from this um, kind of getting back to this kind of theme of expectations that most games, even rules heavier ones, but especially these rules light ones where it can be really obvious how to just, you know, tweak the system so that it doesn't work as intended. It's really important that everybody's on the same page about how it is supposed to work and how you're supposed to play it so that you don't do that right because that's i think often how you have fun right i don't think it's very fun generally to to break a game or to play in a game that has been broken um that's just me and other people may enjoy breaking games more than i do but um that's that's kind of my thoughts on light all right days 10 and 11 are want and stack um want gets back to kind of two things one is um the value of knowing what you want from your games um, and i think that's really important and that's something that i really identified as being you know just so important to getting what you want out of games right that it's it's a little bit like a lot of different things where, you know, yes, hypothetically, you have a chance of getting what you want in the same way that, for instance, in a lot of um, the various sports where you have to put the ball into a net or into a um, goal or into like basketball has a hoop, that sort of thing. Hypothetically, 
every time you send the ball flying in that direction, you might score, but your odds are a lot better of scoring and thus getting the the success in the game if you're, you know, aiming and practiced at it and and you know doing doing essentially all of the stuff that goes into being successful at that, right? You don't have to do that to score necessarily, but it helps. I think it's the same way with RPGs that, you know, yes, you can have great sessions without identifying what it is that you want from sessions and all that sort of stuff, but it helps, especially for consistency, right? That um, knowing what you want from your games is huge for consistently getting that from your games. The other thing I wanted to say is the value of having characters who want things, because I think that is a really um, important part of some people, especially in RPGs, treat character as if it comes from what has happened and not from a character's response to what has happened and how that informs what they will do going forward. And I think this is this is one of the issues with backstory, right? That especially um, more, it's probably not fair to say amateurish, but but I'm gonna say it anyway, more, more kind of amateurish backstory creators will do like, you know, here's all the things that happened to my character in the past. And it's like, well, that's fine. But what we care about is not what has happened to your character, but how your character has responded to those things, how they have grown and changed and how they, um, how they work now based on how they work then and how all of that informs what the character will do in the now, right? What do they want? What are they trying to get and how are they going to get it? And, of course, to do that, you need characters that want things, right? Beyond just, I want to see what happens next, generally. Although, I want to see what happens next can be fine, especially in, like, a, a pickup game or a more beer and pretzels game. But I think, really, the more kind of... Uh, more of the the kind of serious play, as, as Jason Hobbs and Che Webster talk about it, depends upon... Um, characters wanting things and being able to explore that. Okay, day 11 is stack. What I wrote on the Discord was a whole thing about the idea of um, in hex and shit war games, often you stack up multiple um, chits, multiple pieces um, in a single hex. And that becomes really important for the way that the rules interact, the, the way that the game plays out. Um, and specifically, one of the ideas was that a lot of those stacking rules have to do with the concept of asymmetrical warfare. Asymmetrical warfare is basically um, when the two opposite sides um, have different objectives in combat, but it also, I think, applies to situations where the two different sides have different kind of um, operations in in combat, where, where the two sides operate differently. And I think this is really where it ties into RPGs, 
because generally the party versus the world whatever part of the world they're facing is going to be asymmetrical warfare in the sense that the party's operation, the party's method of operating as a um, one side is going to be different than the way that the world operates as one side. So a big example of this, of course, is, you know, a small, smaller party engaging a larger force of lower hit die creatures. So, you know, you have uh, six six members of the party who are all level three engaging like 18 hit die one monsters, goblins or something. Um, those two sides are going to operate fairly differently because they're structured differently. Um, and this sort of gets into more of, it's more of the kind of uh, challenge-based step on up play than the kind of, narrativist stuff, I think, but I think it is uh, important to think about how those two sides are going to operate differently so that you can um, make that satisfying, right? That's that's kind of my thing for stack, and it comes from the idea that, um, for instance, in a hex and shit game, you might have a stack limit of like two squads and a leader. And what that means is that a force that is made up of a lot of squads is going to have to, they have a sort of maximum density that they can get to. And so they're going to have to spread out a lot more, cover a lot more ground than the force that has smaller, more elite units um, where they can have, you know, like two... Um, they can have, you know, let's say you have four squads versus two squads, but the two squads have the same combined firepower as the four squads. Well, that's going to create this um, asymmetry in the way that the two sides play. And that is often based on, I'm thinking about it because I've been, I've been reading Valor and Victory, and I've been thinking about doing another thing with Lock and Load Tactical, um, try to get sort of reread that rule book and get back into that game because I think it's a really good game. Um, and so, yeah, stacking is a big deal with that. So, yeah, war games influencing RPGs is not just something that happened back at the beginning, but I think is has gone kind of all the way through. All right, day 12 is message. Um, and what I'm thinking about is the message spell uh, or messenger or whatever, the, the different... Basically, the idea of a spell in an RPG that allows you to communicate with another character in a situation where you wouldn't normally be able to communicate with them. And what I'm thinking about more generally is the idea of um, spells that change the nature of um, kind of normal limitations. Um, and I think there's an interesting kind of a positive and a negative for it, because I really like the idea of spells that can do things that are not just magic, that can do stuff that is not just basically a sword that works a little bit differently, right? The idea of, you know, uh, damaging cantrips as basically bows that um, 
have flashing lights instead of arrows, that always seems like um, that's not really magical to me. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a an issue that it can make the party dependent upon magic for problem solving, right? That the idea that the party doesn't go to how can we, um, when the party has a, how do we solve this problem that the answer can become, well, let's look in the spell books and see if there's a spell that might work for this. Um, and I don't think that is a, a great way to play, to be honest, or at least I don't, I don't enjoy that quite as much. Um, and there's some people who do, and that's totally fine. But I, I always feel like that's a little bit of a, a not a cop out, but a, a little bit of a, a miss, a misstep almost when you have spells that solve those problems pretty easily. Um, and this gets sort of back into what I like from my RPGs that I really like, you know, muscle-powered combat and maybe not a whole lot of magic um, or magic that is very dark and mysterious and all that sort of stuff. So, for instance, I really like um, the way that magic works in Conan 2D20 um, and all of that. Um, and it's very, you know, dark and mysterious and there's kind of special things you can do with your magic that um, make it operate a little differently and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's not, I mean, the, the biggest damage spell you can do is not that big damage. It's pretty big damage, um, but it's very expensive compared to the idea of just a, a high level or a leveled up melee fighter who can do that much damage pretty regularly with some, some good talents and good stats. So anyway, this, this episode doesn't need to turn into me just talking about how much I like Conan 2D20, but message. Um, all right. Rest. Rest is, um, I'm going to move away from rest in games and talk about rest out of games um, because I think one of the things I need to do is figure out a better um, way to make sure that I am getting enough rest from games during the week when I have a lot of games um, because I have a bunch of games that I am playing in or running now um, and I really don't I really don't like that kind of feeling of, of burnout, right? I really want to stay in optimal, optimal mode. Um, and I think that involves doing a better job of um, being deliberate about taking time away from the hobby and resting up and all that sort of stuff. Like that what I need to do is at least sometimes say, you know what, I'm not going to watch an actual play. I'm going to go read a book that isn't related to RPGs um, as a way to give my brain some time to do something else, to, to rest up and recover, essentially. Um, so that's, that's what I'm thinking about for rest. 14, day 14 is Banner. Um, 
and I'm going to say sort of interpret this broadly and say not just banner, but um, kind of coat of arms, surcoats, identifying marks, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I think this is a really interesting part of RPGs because we know that historically there was a lot that had to do. There's uh, obviously a lot of history related to these kind of concepts um, and a lot of different ways that that the idea of identifying your foe from your friend as just sort of a basic concept happened. Um, in many RPGs, the scale of combat is much smaller than these kind of big historical battles. And so you don't necessarily need, you know, banners flying around to tell you who's on which side. And you don't necessarily need surcoats that say, I'm, I'm this guy versus I'm that guy, that sort of thing. Um, at the same time, fighting around a banner, awesome set piece for a game. Um, in a big battle, right? Having that because the banner is so critical, right? Flying um, in a lot of different um, periods, the idea of kind of like, you know, the center of the line where the commander is flying the flag. And if the flag goes down, that probably means that the, the commander has been killed or something like that um, is such a, a sort of classic moment within a lot of these kind of, you know, war movies and war stories and all of that sort of stuff. So um, I think there's something really to be said about using that set piece in your games, you know, the fight around the banner or the flag or um, something like that. Or um, I was going to use um, in my uh, Song of Swords, uh, Sengoku Jidai, game that never got off the ground the plan was to play as um Takeda retainers and in particular I was going to sort of um combine a lot of different things from the period not not try to present a, a sort of historical overview of the period but kind of combine a lot of stories from the period that I liked and one of the big ones is the fourth battle of Imagawa I think is the um not not Imagawa that's wrong um Fourth battle of Kawanakajima. Kawanakajima. I don't. I'm. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Um, but basically, one of the things that happened was that um, Takeda Shingen, the leader of the Takeda clan, had his kind of command post set up, and Uesugi Kenshin. Um, the leader of the Usugi forces who were fighting them um, fought his way to the command tent and dueled um, Shingen. Um, Shingen fighting with his metal war fan, is, as the story goes, versus um, Kenshin with his katana. Um, and they dueled for a moment until the kind of Takeda forces could rally and surge forward and push the Usugi forces back. And so Kenshin had to retreat. Um, which is such an awesome concept. Oh man, that would be so much fun to do in a role-playing game. And I'm sure I'm going to use something like that sometime. The, the player characters as the retainers desperately trying to defend their commander 
right at the kind of critical moment of the battle and just go all in on this idea of everything kind of happening around them, the chaos of the battle and the, you know, the noise and the sights and the smell and all of this kind of like, you know, absolute kind of colossal adrenaline moment um, would be, I think that that is about as perfect a set piece as you could have for an RPG. Um, but I'm not sure when I'm going to get to that. So I'm going to keep that one in the back pocket and um, at some point it will come out. All right. Day 15 frame and 16 dramatic. Um, Framing, I think, is a really, there's something that could be said, something really interesting, I think, to be said about the idea of how framing works in RPGs. Um, I am not a super visual person. Um, I don't think in images that often, just as a, a thing. So um, my thought about framing has to do more with kind of the way that framing is done in um, writing, in, in fiction, um, fiction writing. And um, thinking about one of the, the kind of really interesting questions about it is how much information do the PCs get and how does it, um, how do you manage that? Um, for instance, one of the things that I think is that um, almost never will you be able to give an account of uh, a scene or a sequence of events or anything like that so detailed that every possibility will seem um, available. And what I mean is that, for instance, in a combat scene, if you're you're describing the setting, um, I think one of the things that can happen really quickly is that kind of every piece that you describe becomes like, a, okay, how do I use that, right? Especially in more of a kind of like a like a superhero combat scene, I'm thinking of more so than kind of like a traditional sword um, sword play combat scene, um, and that gets into a um, a sort of question about how you should deal with um, the things because I think I think what you what I at least generally don't want is hey here's the special thing you can do in 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 this scene um, let me describe let me describe that there's like a lever over here and you can pull it and that's your sort of special thing because that feels that feels to me very kind of video gamey in a bad way the idea of like we're in a weird set piece and there's this is the answer to the problem type thing um, that's right that's to me that's basically like a turret section in a video game where it's like oh there are going to be a lot of enemies, but you've got a turret. So now we're going to do a sort of mini game to uh, to do that. Anyway, that's sort of a digression. But um, my answer has generally been keep your framing kind of loose, loose enough that the players can add to it. 
Um, you know, my example with icons was that in a superhero scene, I sort of described there's this sort of warehouse and there's a couple doors and kind of left it at that and said, okay, maybe there's like a catwalk or something like that. Uh, and then let the players ask, well, is there, right, if we just walked in the door, is there a um, fire extinguisher on the wall? I'm like, hmm. That makes sense to me. And if I really wanted to, I could use something like the the Mythic GM emulator to say, like, okay, I think that's likely, so I'm going to roll again on the table to see if that um, that is if if that is that kind of yes no question yes there's a fire extinguisher or no there is not a fire extinguisher see if that comes back yes or no based on the table. Um, but I don't necessarily need the the table to do that. I can sort of say, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and just, you know, go with the kind of say yes to the players thing. And um, so the player used the fire extinguisher to bash a bad guy. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's great. That's kind of creative use of the environment that did not depend on me seeding the environment with creative things to do. And I think that's... Um, positive because then you're you're not kind of like setting up buttons for the players to press so much as you're setting up a scenario for them to add to the fiction and i think that really gets towards um what i really like in rpgs all right dramatic day 16 um drama in RPGs is really interesting because you want, I think most of us, the way I think about it, um, especially with kind of more serious games, with beer and pretzel games, it's not as important. But with more serious games, I think most of us want some level of um, diegetic drama, drama within the game, but want to avoid extra diegetic drama, right? We don't want there to be drama between the players and the, the between different players or between players and the game master or anything like that, right? That is not really part of the goal. Um, unless you're a high drama person, in which case it might be part of the goal for you, but at least for me, it's not part of the goal. And I think for most of us, that's the case. Um, and that can be difficult, right? Making that distinction, I think, can be um, difficult. And this sort of goes back to this discussion about expectations. And I think it is worth setting the expectation that, you know, we're going to try to create drama in the game without creating drama outside of the game. Um, and talking about that and what does that actually mean? Because otherwise, you know, what can happen is, you know, the player is, you know, one of the most dramatic things is, is character death, right? That's a dramatic change to the world that uh, the players are in, essentially, because their, their access to the world has been killed off or is uh, changed because they're going to get a new character. Um, in which case, you need to kind of have that conversation about what, is there going to be character death? What's it going to look like if there's character death? All of that sort of stuff. Um, otherwise, I think often what happens is that, you know, you end up with 
the mismatch of expectations that turns into friction, right? That, um, you know, the GM's like, well, your character died. And the player's like, yeah, but I liked that character. Um, that's sort of low drama version of it. But I think it can turn into a really like, you know, high drama, you know, fuck you. Why did you do this type thing? Um, especially if the character really likes, especially if the player really loves their character, they can, um, you know, it can be hard to separate the the game from the real world sometimes for some people. And that's, um, it's important to know that about yourself if you're one of those people. And it's important to have that discussion with people. And luckily, I think a lot of the guys that I play with are pretty um, good at separating that out. But um, yeah, it, it happens. It happens. And it happens to all of us, right? Everybody is vulnerable to, you know, sometimes you just have a bad day. And it's hard to not let the bad day take over your experience with the, the game, right? And snap at people and all that sort of stuff. And that's no fun. Nobody, I don't think anybody really wants to be the sort of person who snaps at their buddies during a game. Um, but it happens. Real life, real life drama happens and can make things hard. So anyway, I guess what I'm saying is um, do your best to be stoic about it. And uh, remember that what happens to you isn't what hurts you. It's how you react to it and make your, make your, you know, as a player be stoic as a character, be anti-stoic basically um, as a player, just let it all go. Don't worry about it. Be just fine with it as a character, have them be super reactive, right? They, they, you know, see, see the tragedy and kind of, you know, fall to their knees, shaking with rage and all that sort of stuff. Anti-stoic. That's, that's, I think, um, what makes for great dramatic characters often. Um, not necessarily anti-stoic all the time, but anti-stoic, um, in critical moments, highly reactive in critical moments is I think always good for good character drama. All right, day 17, comfort, and day 18, meet. Um, comfort, um, what it makes me think of is back to this kind of discussion of drama and um, diegetic drama versus um, extra diegetic drama. And in the same way, you have a thing with comfort, right? I think, generally speaking, barring kind of exceptional circumstances, um, most everyone wants to be comfortable at the gaming table, right? As a person, right? You want to be in a, you want the gaming table to be a place that is comfortable. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there cannot be, um, you know, you can't have like scary stuff or anything like that. Obviously there are people who are um, comfortable in the sense that they, um, are pleased by and are, um, yeah, comfortable with things like horror movies. And that's totally fine. Um, and the, and it's great that people like horror movies. Um, I like some horror movies and not some others. 
um, and didn't like him as much when I was younger, but uh, now have sort of a, a bit of a taste for them. Um, but what we're what I'm getting at is really the idea that um, you want everyone. Um, every player to be comfortable. You often want characters to be uncomfortable, right? You want to, uh, I think generally in, in games, the, the role of the game master, one of the big roles is to put the characters through shit, right? To make them uncomfortable. Um, and that can be things like, you know, have them trek through the snow, but that can also be things like, you know, have them question their morality and stuff like that. There's a lot of, room for discomfort for player characters that um, I think makes for exciting and interesting narrative and exciting and interesting sessions and gets everybody um, coming away like, wow, that was a, you know, a really good, deep session, um, kind of beyond the beer and pretzels sessions. Um, not that I, I keep talking about beyond beer and pretzels and um, I, I have a great fondness for beer and pretzels gaming. Um, I certainly enjoy it a lot. I think the thing is that um, beer and pretzels gaming is kind of easy, if that makes sense. That in some ways, if your game, if your experience is more about like having fun hanging out with your buddies, that's pretty easy to do, right? Most people, I think, kind of instinctively understand that idea that you're just going to, you know, hang out and you have a game going. In in high school, we used to play cards a bunch. And playing cards was really more a way to hang out with a couple of friends and have a conversation piece because the cards existed. It wasn't really about, you know, trying to card shark anybody or anything like that. It was basically just to have something to do in addition to the kind of general hangout conversation. Um, and it's great. It's a ton of fun. I really, really have enjoyed that um, in time. I think that if you want something deeper than that, something, an experience beyond just the value of hanging out with friends, um, that is often difficult. That is often more difficult to create um and to create well and so that's why i'm talking about kind of beyond beer and pretzels i guess um, and i think beyond beer and pretzels gameplay often requires the characters to go beyond their comfort zone even if you don't want the players to be uncomfortable you want the characters to be uncomfortable and finally, day 18 is meet. And so I just wanted to say I have met um, so many cool people and great friends um, through this hobby. Um, a number of them are related to the um, Dungeon Musings community. Um, Kevin, uh, whose YouTube channel is Dungeon Musings, um, I discovered the YouTube channel um I don't remember exactly when, probably in like the, the summer or fall of 2018, maybe. And then started playing with them at the beginning of 2019. And then now it's 2020 and I've played with them a ton. Um, and there's so many great players, great friends from that group. Um, 
that have been really, you know, influential in my life. And then there's the other kind of crews that I have uh, met uh, people through anchor podcasting, people through some of the discords, um, even some people, not a whole lot yet, but even some people on my um, my own very small YouTube channel. It has been nice to, to meet people who have their kind of um, ideas about uh, – some of the stuff that I talk about and it's really cool to, you know, I'm, I haven't had any, I don't kind of post enough to, to have like commenters who comment on every video or anything like that. But, um, I've got some, some people watching and, um, that's really cool. And, and that's another element of community that I, I really like. So I, um, yeah, I've met so many cool people and made so many friends through this hobby, um, which is awesome. It's been uh, really, really special. Um, and I, I say that as someone who is generally not very good at making friends, um, to be honest. So it's, uh, it's a nice change to... Um, feel like I've, I've done a good job of making friends and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's a nice, it's a really nice feeling to have met so many cool people and to get to play with them and to, to feel like we're, you know, bonding and hanging out and all that sort of stuff. So that seems like a great place to end the episode. It's also the day 18 thing, which today is August 18th which means that I am now caught up with RPG a day 2020. I've said a little bit of something about every single day so far for the podcast. I'm going to try to stay more on top of it in the future and do kind of shorter episodes that are um, just a couple of topics and maybe get a little bit longer about each topic. Then um, if I have more time to kind of think about it and, um, say something kind of more, hopefully more meaningful about it. Um, cause I think that's what, what the people come for is my, um, meaningful commentary and all that. So anyway, that's going to be the end of the episode. If you want to reach me, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on here on anchor. I'm on YouTube. I'm on a bunch of discords. Um, and if you want to get in contact with me, that would be great. You can leave a message on Anchor, and I'll play it on the episode even. Um, I'm going to do a, a Collins episode probably on Friday, so that'll be, that'll be fun. Um, yeah, I uh, had, had fun doing this RPG a day catch-up thing, so... Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.